All right, folks, the Shai Fleischer Show is brought to you by The Israel Bible, theisraelbible.com. It's just an incredible compendium for you and your home. It's a way for you to understand the Bible better than you ever did before with great English, great Hebrew, but also commentary by some of the most renowned people put together by the great Rabbi Tully Weiss and brought to you in an incredible, well-produced package that's going to adorn your bookshelf, but also adorn your mind. And just as I open it up to this week's Torah portion, which is Beshalach, I look at it and it says the verse... You will bring them and plant them in your own mountain, the place you made to dwell in, Hashem, the sanctuary, Hashem, which your hands established. Now what's so neat about that is that it's a fabulous verse, and it has it in Hebrew and English, but because it's such a special verse, it also has it transliterated in English so that you could read it if you don't know how to read the Hebrew. So it says, Tavi'emo, Vitati'emo, Behar Nachalatcha. It's meaning to say, if you're a person who wants to get closer to the Bible and you're an English speaker, you want to take it one step further, you want to read it better, maybe maybe you're just learning Hebrew and you just want to pronounce it correctly, it helps you do that as well. It's a fabulous product, and I'm very proud that the Israel Bible is a sponsor of the Yishai Fleischer Israel Podcast. Check it out at theisraelbible.com, and of course, put in coupon code Yishai and get 10% off. God bless you, and enjoy the Bible. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hello. Good to have you on the show again. Yes, it's good to be here yet again. Yet again. From our living room. Yes, and... We are joined this week, not actually on the show, but we are joined this week by two of our children. That's right. Who are in isolation. Right. From school, because here in Israel, we're still doing isolation from school right? for coronavirus. Right. Even though I want to say, thank God, uh, basically international studies and Israeli studies are all showing that this Omicron, thank God, thank God, thank God, Baruch Hashem, exactly what we were praying for, um, is not that bad, generally, for most people, for almost everybody, basically, except for a very... Uh, People with uh, pre- all kinds of pre-existing conditions, older people, etc. They should all, everyone should be healthy anyway. Uh, but we're still doing um, bidudim. We call it bidud. That's a. This comes from the word boded, which means by yourself, alone. 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 So um, we have two kids who were sent home from school because they had a classmate with COVID. Omicron. Right, probably a vaccinated kid. Right, and that's the thing. That's the, that's the other thing. People are starting to... It's funny how here in Israel it goes from like, first we did fear, and then we did calming down. And then we did fear again. And then we did calming down. And now we do anger, and then calming down. And then anger, and then calming down. Because basically as time is going by... Wait, you missed an emotion. You missed an emotion. There's also... Uh facetiousness and uh, sar- sarcasm. Well, that that's like a general Jewish trait that right. never leaves us. And by the way, <clears throat> that Jewish trait was born in this week's Torah portion. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, the famous line uh, in this week's Torah portion. I mention it every year, but the famous, you know, the, the Seinfeldian line, <laughs> uh, the Jewish people, I mamish in my well, mind's say it. eye. You gotta say it. I'll say it in a second, but I could see that it's actually Seinfeld himself, that it's a Jew very much looking like Seinfeld. Who was like, what? 
there were no graves in the desert in Egypt. But there were no graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to to kill us in the desert. What? What? So so that's exactly. It's a great line in the Tanakh, and it's totally unnecessary that line, other than to tell you that there's this Jewish humor, there's this Jewish sarcasm in the darkest moments. Uh, it's it's just the the Jewish people just say to Egypt to to Moses when they're in Egypt when they're in a tough spot in Egypt, they just say. Um, you know, why, why didn't you, why, you know, why did you take us out here where there are no graves in Egypt? Uh, and that line is just not, not necessary. It's just to tell you that there's going to be a Mel Brooks, there's going to be a Seinfeld, there's going to be uh, great Israeli comedians as well. Uh, and that's just, that's just part of our thing. It's a little bit dark. It's a little bit dark sometimes. But, uh, but that's when you're an eternal people and you get through a lot of darkness, I guess right, you need you a little bit. you got to use humor. Yeah. It's funny because we have this WhatsApp group Wait, well, okay, yeah. I, I, the, I wanted to say the name of an Israeli comedian, which is Adir Miller. Adir Miller, he's a great Israeli uh, okay. comedian. Okay, just wanted so to say. We have, we're, on, we're on a WhatsApp group of some of your friends and people who are um, also activists and stuff. So something happened. I can't remember what it was, honestly. And one of the members of the group made a joke about it. Something. It was something kind of negative. And, the, and one of the people in the group was like that's not funny now is not the time to make funny jokes i don't remember some one of numerous tragedies and horrible things that occur so so i responded to the upset person i'm like listen you're a turkish jew you can't understand that ashkenazi jews they have to as part of their defense mechanism for survival they have to joke about this stuff if they don't joke it like hurts too much and then they can't they can't get through it so part of how we get through stuff is through is through laughing about it. it's very ashkenazi you don't get it because right. you're a turkish jew that's right and he's like oh okay <laughs> that's absolutely and then right. he felt better and, and as you're saying that malka i i was really i just drove the kids to school and then i was coming back here to record with you and i was looking forward to it and then and then i started listening to the news but lately i've been a little bit more allergic to listening to the news so I did what my what, what I've been doing recently, which is to turn it to music channels, which I never did before. Why? Right. Oh, you mean as opposed to like news talk shows, right? News as talk radio. To news talk radio, and uh, you know, which I used to listen to religiously, but just recently I just have not felt like it, and and hit the music channel. But the music channel was Gal Galatz, which is the army radio station, and the army radio station was like, well, on a sad and tragic day like this. We usually, you know, we play these, you know, sad songs, these calm songs. Everybody should have a ragua day, a calm day. And I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about. And then I switched it back mm-hmm. to 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 the to the Israeli channel, to the news channels. And it turned out that today, last night, a horrible incident took place in which uh, soldiers of some very elite units terrible terrible uh, uh, ended up by mistake shooting one another thinking that both sides each were one terrorists. thinking the other was terrorists and these right. are like really super trained highly elite israeli soldiers that's right from the agos brigade Ugh. and uh, my friend jake served in the agos brigade two of them attacked one of them uh-huh. because they thought the two thought the one was a terrorist and the one killed the other two because he thought they were terrorists Oh my gosh! And that's what happened. The the one killed the two, and this poor person. It's it's the tragedy is just it's so. It's really massive. three people. It's three people, right? Because it's two. That man is not. I don't know what you do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh. It's it's horrific. I'm sure they're from the same. Like those are his friends, probably. Right. It's just. 
It's just unthinkable. We need so much siyata dishmaya right now. No, we I, really need a. We need. We need divine mercy. I have to. I have to I'm going to say something. I'm going to. They don't. They don't pay me the big bucks to do this show to just say the polite and nice thing. All okay? right. So I'm going to say the not polite and nice. All thing. All right. Is this so, going to hurt? And earn my bread. Okay. Um. What happened was, uh, uh, really, truly tragic, and and is a scar. Um, and that is by itself. But if you also want to take that as a uh, um, a parable for what's happening today, uh, there's a parable in there, which is that we're shooting one another instead of uh, taking care of the bad guys. Um, and our guns and our emotions are way turned in inward mm-hmm. instead of uh, instead of outward, and instead of holding on to our land, expanding our, our settlement and our growth in our land, we keep on tearing up our own land and we keep on allowing uh, marauders and, and uh, um, what's it called, when, when, when groups invade, invaders and, and takeovers and, and squatters to take over our land. And instead of, instead of taking care of them, we are constantly infighting. And even this morning, Within my chat group, there was a video of Prime Minister Netanyahu ripping Prime Minister Bennett for not doing more shots or, or that he hasn't done the... Right, the, that, he, that because of him, people don't have confidence in the vaccine. Right, or something like that. And I'm just like, and I, I thought to myself, I'm like, first thing, BB, God bless you. But like, are you not a little bit more above that? that you have to make a video ripping the other prime minister. That's one. Right. It's a lot so, of petty politics. Petty, 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 infighting politics. Petty and infighting. And so when 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 uh, my mind is like a, you know, I, I think in terms of like parables and literature a lot of times, like that's just, it's just like, it's just the way that, that, that it works. And the minute I heard about this horrific uh, incident, which was, I'm sure, technical and, and, and a mistake and a mistake in communications and clearly it was a mistake yeah, and, it, and, it, it, it clearly was a mistake that's the story and highly motivated soldiers that are good and 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 i just like but the parable here is is exactly what's happening writ large which is that we're shooting one another that that's simply we're shooting one another instead of shooting the bad guys right it, it the, the you know a, a gun you know who was it i forgot one of the famous authors you know, once said it was it. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but it was like if if there's a gun in the maybe it was Joyce. I don't remember, but it was if there's a gun in the first scene, it's got to shoot at the last scene. Right. Like they, it's got like like weapons will be discharged. Weapons will be discharged, and the question is like, are they going to be discharged at the people who are trying to kill you, or are they going to be you know discharged at your own people? And and that's what I see. I see our own state apparatus uh, shooting itself. And, and and later on in the show today. We'll be speaking with uh, with a very special interview with uh, Jeremy Gimpel and Tahila Gimpel, uh, both sitting down with me to talk about uh, their effort to save uh, the Ezra Schwartz vineyard in the Arugot farm and uh, the state parts of the state of Israel trying to uproot that vineyard. Well, we're uh, having they're they're also you know they're just part of a real state confusion about what it wants to do what it believes in when it comes to jewish development planting agriculture 
in the land of Israel. This is the Shemitah year, um, which is the set, which is the Shabbat of the land. Basically, the land is supposed to remain fallow, um, but the state doesn't really like overly promote this idea of the Shabbat on the land. Just like it doesn't really overly promote the idea of Shabbat in your houses. There's a big, there's a big discussion of uh, whether there should be public transportation. Um, in Israel on Shabbat, that is uh, frankly a longer, you know, many decades conversation. But, but nonetheless, it's sort of risen up again. Uh, we also had this this incident uh, recently, and it's still a little bit ongoing. Which is that the Jewish National Fund? So many of you out there probably know what the Jewish National Fund is. It's also in Hebrew called Karen Kayemet LeIsrael. And it's so old school, right? It re- represents like old school Israel planting trees in the land of Israel. One of the like big Hasbara points that people love to make is that uh, Israel is the only country that started off with more trees than it than it uh, than it started with in the last decade. Um, and um, Karen Kayam at Israel is known for going out to different places and starting to forest them or to just develop them, uh, you know, in terms of growth and trees and things like it's that. It's interesting that you use the word forest as a verb, to forest. Right. And that's something that you just don't hear in other countries. Uh-huh. Here in Israel, uh, even even the very famous movie about, like, Aliyah called Salah Shabbati has a scene where they go, Ye'ur! Yeah, Ye'ur, where everyone which, is put in forestation. In, right, right, and to, to forest. Yeah, to forest them. To yeah. forest them, and that's great. I just, I just, I, and I t- take a second to appreciate that. Like, I idea. wish we would plant sometimes, I just want to say, if you're listening from Karen Kayam at Israel, I wish sometimes that we would plant something else besides olive trees and pine trees. I think we could get olive more Olive trees, they barely They do ever. mostly pine trees. Yeah, pine. But sometimes olive trees, but mostly pine olive trees. Olive trees, that's serious, and, and oaks. Do you know, by the way, do you know? Wait, I, but we have to get to the story. Do you know, just yeah. very quickly, do you know that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of more oaks in the land of Israel until the Turks came and they cut them down? What for? What for? They had a huge vision of a railroad that would encompass the whole Middle East, which, by the way, I think is the correct vision. To this day, I think that the Turks were right and the Germans were helping them, which is to build a railroad system throughout the whole Middle East. Okay, maybe one period. Day. Yeah, but they, you know, in those days they needed those wood slabs, right? Those so wood, lay the tracks, lay the tracks, and so they cut down the local oaks, and they have not been reforested. All right, so JNF, maybe you put some oak trees on the list for next time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it happens to be Shemitah year this year. Nonetheless, JNF um, had its yearly program for Tu Bishvat, which is the New Year of the Trees, a special Jewish holiday. They speak to, for the trees. Yeah, right. Yeah. They are the JNF. They speak for the trees. Yeah, um, that's what they, that 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 should be their slogan, right? Yeah, a little Lorax. Put a Let, little Lorax yeah, we, on there. We speak for the trees for the Israeli trees. So, uh, so they went on a, a little planting journey down to the Negev, because it happens to be incidentally that the Negev is what they call a machloket. Whether you can, whether it is counts as the land of Israel, according to the the. Um, for, for, purposes for, for purposes of like this Sabbath issue. Sabbath of the land. It is certainly the state of Israel. That is without question. But is it, it does it require the same Sabbath that the rest of the land of Israel requires is a is a right. matter and, of and, debate. And it's between, you know, the river, which is either the Nile or El Arish and and the and, and the uh 
the Euphrates. It's right. definitely it's definitely in this landmass here, the the land it's of definitely Israel. part of the promised land to Abraham. The question is, is it the essential land of Israel? Right. Does where, it need the Sabbath or not? Right. Does it need the Sabbath or not? Very so some good. people say yes, and some people say no. Right. Okay. So the so the JNF relying on the no went down to plant some trees. Elama, what happened? A, a contingency of Bedouins got very upset that Jews are planting in the Negev. They are making basically a statement that the Negev belongs to them, that it doesn't, that Jews should not be here, that Jews should not be foresting or making any determinations about uh, what goes on around here, and they started rioting. Mm-hmm. This rioting uh, made it into the news, uh, partially because it was backed by one of the most uh, linchpin coalition members in the... Uh, Naftali Bennett administration coalition, and that is Mansour Abbas, who is the head of the Ra'am party. If any of you know anything about Israeli politics, you've been hearing his name a lot. And he basically w- basically backed the rioters and said that this is Bedouin, this is a Bedouin zone, and that Israel has no right. And it's he's starting to show um, a certain disloyalty to the coalition. Mansour Abbas, meaning to say he was a member of the coalition, but now based on this well, issue... Well, because Eretz Israel is a red line, right? Like, like for him, like, okay, we can co- we can have a coalition, but you guys wanting to expand Jewish presence in the land of Israel? Right, that is Palestine. a red line, right, that is a red <clears throat> line. It's very interesting because um, I work for JNS, Jewish News Syndicate. Not JNF. Not JNS. Not J- JNF, yes, JNS, okay? Right. And I've been seeing articles recently by opinion writers, a few opinion writers, who are really so excited about this Mansour Abbas. They're like, he's made some statements about how Israel was born a Jewish state and it will remain a Jewish state, things like that. And his joining of the coalition, which is really um, unprecedented, right, for an Arab party to join the coalition, made people believe that this is like some kind of new era a la the Abraham Accords where Arabs show that they really can have like an affinity for Jews and, and respect Jewish presence in the Middle East. People have adhered him to that. They have said that Mansour Abbas is like in this vein of the Abraham Accords. He's that comes from that spirit. And look at this. Like we really can have peace in Israel, Arabs and Jews, and they respect us. And look, we can move forward with them. And it and now the, a big question has been raised as to how true that actually is, because uh, Mansour Abbas is basically saying, I'm not going to be voting with the coalition anymore. Um, and things are a little shaky. So then what happened? The JN, so so the JNF the JNF Jewish National Fund is in a predicament because if they stop their planting, then they're a bunch of lamos, right, who capitulate to terror. But if they keep going, then they stand to be the impetus for the destruction of the coalition. Right. And there are some people who really like the idea of this coalition remaining, especially the people in the coalition. Right. They do not want their jobs taken away from them and they do not want uh, to relinquish power. Um, And there are people who really like the idea that Arab parties are getting much more of a voice in Israel. And those people also don't want uh, want it to stop. So so there was a little bit of question marks up in the air for a while yesterday. The JNF, quote unquote, finished its project. Okay, they had three days of planting. There, look at that. They're done. 
Okay, they planted everything that they need to plant. And according to them, that was the schedule three days of planting from the get go. But last night, after the project was already done, look at that, they're still rioting. They're still rioting. So there's still action going down going on down in the Negev, uh, Bedouins um, expressing their outrage. This morning, come that's wait. I, I yeah. want to just I want to add one more little thing because sure. I'm Hungarian. I can't be interrupted in the middle, otherwise I completely lose my train of thought. Tell me about it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go on now. Yep. No. You, you get, the listeners cannot see the glare <laughs> that I'm giving you right glare-ish. now. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I just want to say this morning, a member of our of that same WhatsApp group that I was telling you about with the activists um, sent pictures from a from uh, a border outside Efrat, which is here in Judea, it and it showed that planting had taken place right up against the road to Efrat in the night, in the middle of the night. Not Jewish planting, Arab planting. And the the person who posted these pictures is very involved in trying to assert Jewish. Um, ownership over parts of of land here in Judea and doing that through agriculture and through planting trees Uh, because this issue of who planted is very as we say in Hebrew kovea it it really like is a the courts look at that and they say oh well they planted here they planted here as like a very serious planting it turns out in Israel is like a very serious statement and it really increases your um hold on the land not just hold but like your your reputation sort of as the as the um it it sort of lends itself to the veracity of your claims that you are the owner of of land so he showed pictures of of trees being planted right up along the road and he's like what on earth is going on how can it be that that you know down in the negev it's like no no, in, in on state land, this the trees. I may not have said those words. Were planted on state land, which means it's land that everyone understands is the state of Israel land. This these trees, which were planted right ar- along uh, the road to Ephrat, basically, if they are allowed to continue to grow their little roots there, will establish effectively an Arab claim to the land right up on the, on the road. And it's just because they planted it. Meaning to say it has nothing to do with actual reality. It only has to do with the fact that they put down trees. So we wake up this morning. Are there tractors coming out to pull out these trees? Are there police coming to investigate? Are there army? No, nothing, 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 nothing. And so this person was like, everyone has to call the mayor of the town, something that I am, I'm not going to call him, but I'm going to text him after the show. I'm going to put down the microphone. I'm going to text him and I'm going to put something up Bezrat Hashem on Facebook and tag him and be like, how can you allow this to happen? And so the, um, yeah, there's like a, there's the, the battle for the land of Israel is still so very much on. And I think that Israelis have this tendency to become complacent and to like, you know, be watching TikTok or to be learning Torah in their, in their, you know, uh, at their kitchen table. And they're not, people don't realize that the battle for the actual land of Israel is, is so, it's raging. It's so hot. 
it's not like it has not stopped if anything the opposite like if anything we we are in a more critical position today fighting for the land of israel than we've been in the past our beloved jewish state is not signaling to the arabs that this is a jewish state and that this these are our lands and that we will fight land theft and that we will fight their incursion that was the word i was looking for before uh they're not signaling that and so there's a tailwind uh as Yoram Ettinger would say there's a tailwind to to the land takeover which is happening all around and then when the jewish people uh, maizim uh dare. dare to to do that same kind of action on land that was already established to be jewish right it's a major international scandal uh, right and so okay so so we're signaling the wrong signal uh, and you'll hear more about that uh, c- coming up next. And that's exactly, I go back to that thing, which is like we shoot one another. That's what, I, that's what I mean. It's like, to me, like what happened was a horrific thing, but like but like use it as a mashal. Use it as a parable for like what's happening in our country and, and push back on it. Um, and uh, yesterday I was, uh, I was on the uh, Arugot farm and I got to speak with uh, Jeremy Gimpel and Tehillah beforehand. Uh, there was a, a great journalist from CBN News, Chris Mitchell. CBN is Christian Broadcasting Network, and he was out there. Uh, and I got a chance to talk with him a lot about about the stuff that we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. which is the the crisis uh, of the state of of Israel. But we can't leave people like this, Ishai. No, we cannot leave people like this. So, what are you going to say? Well, first thing is is that is that, uh, and that's what I, I was, that's exactly what I was going to get to. I told Chris Mitchell, so he's like, "What's you know? So what's the prognosis for the whole thing?" I said to him, "It's birurim, birurim. It's uh, it's siphoning. It's uh, it's figuring it out. It's 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 refining. We're in a process of refinement." Uh, and I said to him, "The Bible is not an easy document, and so our our current story is not an easy document, and and we're going to have to enter into a a time of education. We're going to have to enter into a time of education, a time of re-education, really, which is really two things. I think uh, one is Bible." and Bible heritage and Bible consciousness, and two is national state. Uh, the, national, the, the national state is an okay and normative phenomenon around the world. Those are two twin issues that people don't understand. I see that now. I've, I've like, it's, it's, it's become refined in my head. I see that they don't understand the biblical past and heritage that gives us our history, and they don't understand that an ethnic national state is an okay and normative phenomenon, and this other thing that wants to replace us, Palestine, is uber ethnic national state. Uh, and so we have, to, we have to assert ourselves. And maybe a third thing is there are rules in the Middle East. I think maybe that's a third thing. That Those are the three points. Like One is there's the Tanakh. Two is that ethnic national state is right. And three is you got to play the rules of the Middle East. You cannot play around with the folks around here, and I don't just mean the Arabs, I mean everybody. You can't, you can't treat it as though we're in Liechtenstein over in Europe or something like that. And even those guys defend themselves, you know, <clears throat> and know that they don't want incursion. You got to be tough out here. You got to be tough on, on incursion. It's like you got to make sure that these things do not pop up and take over your land. And I'm happy about what's happening in the Negev now. Because it's showing them, I called it, I wrote it on Twitter, I called it Shomer time. The you know, the last battle, what was it called in English, the, the last conflict? I don't remember what it was called, but in Hebrew, it was called Shomer HaChemot, Defender of the Walls, right? And I'm like, this is the same thing. They're rising up inside of Israel, not Judea and Samaria. 
Because Judea and Samaria, they already... I mean, there's nothing more Israel than Judea and Samaria, but for argument's sake. Right, no, for understanding's sake. They're rising up now of these people that are called so-called Israeli Arabs. Right, and these these are people with right. citizenship, and we're talking about mainstream Israel. Right, okay, so there you go. That's what's happening right now. Anyway, um, I hope the good news is that there's a wake-up call. There's going to be a wake-up call. This, incidentally, after Israel, like did the very, very controversial move, which many Israelis weren't happy with, which is the electricity law, um, legalize, effectively legalizing like tens of thousands of Arab illegal buildings. Because, because, because the, the, here's the dumb way of understanding that. Wow, we just gave them this, this gift. They should be satisfied. They should be satisfied and thankful. That's the stupid way of understanding it. That's the person who does not understand the 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 the, the way of the Middle East. He just doesn't. It's very get it. Western. It's but it's but it's but it's it's perfectly stupid. It's like you just do not understand how people think around here at all. And here's the right way to understand it, which is, oh my God, the Jews just legalized our land grab here. That means they're weak, and that means that we can continuously attack them and sh- and demand more and push back more. And that's. And that's exactly what we're going to do. This is a moment of weakness is just shown. Don't wait another minute, and 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 right, throw push this again. push again. And that's the way of the Middle East. And if you don't understand that, you are just plain old dumb, and and you just do not get what's going on right here, or you're being blinded by your own ideology. Okay, uh, I just want to do a little shout out, delightful Malka, um, r- reminding people, by the way, that there is. Still, there are many beautiful factors in Israel, which is a strong economy and strong Torah. I want to say that backwards, a strong Torah growth in, in, the, in the sector of, and not in the sector, in, in all sectors of uh, starting to, to become more conscious of the Torah. And that means that you're going to be more Bibly conscious, more national state conscious, and more Middle Easternly conscious, which is what we need. I, I, think, I think I'm really glad we had this discussion now. Now I'm really happy. I've now refined it into what, what needs to be an article, which is like those three things, the, the consciousness strengthening in those three departments. That, that's the way to, to understand the Middle East better. But I do want to do a tiny shout out, Malka, a tiny shout out to uh, uh, Uncle Seth. That's right. Who is Uncle Seth? Uh, Rabbi Tully Weiss, who puts out the uh, Israel Bible, wrote to me and he said, hey, you know, my uncle listens to your show. And actually, uh, Uncle Seth sent out uh, sent, sent Tully a little message, Rabbi Tully, and he says, please tell Yishai and Maka that they have a crazy uncle who, lives, who, who <laughs> quote unquote, lives in Israel vicariously through their podcast and many others. I've been listening to him and Malka since they started at Ruth Sheva at least wow. 10 years ago and when they lived amongst the Arabs outside the old city. Malka brings a lighthearted perspective to the podcast which we could all uh, use. Thank you. Uh, so there you go, Malka. Wow. Uh, so, and shalom to Uncle Seth and God bless you and Hi, thank Uncle you so Seth. much for being with us and lots of love to you and you thank you for... You soon. That's right. And, and, and keep living... Both vicariously, not vicariously, but uh, let us let us hold hands across the Atlantic and be strong together in, in the process of uh, moving the Jewish state forward. God bless you, uh, and thank you very much to the Israel Bible and some of our other sponsors, including JewishPress.com, uh, who do a great job of getting our show out. JNS.org uh, just put out my article about uh, Desmond Tutu, about our the, little experiences back in the day. That's right. It was Cardozo Law School. At Cardozo Law School, our experiences with De- with Desmond Tutu and what Desmond Tutu really, really what his real achievements are, um, and also Prohibition Pickle, which uh, bring a delightful delight to our delightful Shabbos. Uh, and uh, that's the del- and I wish right now I'm salivating because I haven't eaten yet today. Why? What do you want? What do you <clears> want? <throat> I'll get a free for Shabbos for Prohibition Pickle. I want what some want? salami. Mm-hmm. I want some salami. I want some good mustard, but not the granulely mustard that we have in the fridge. Yeah, a more well, yellowy like, mustard, yeah. like a good quality, but on the yellowy side. You know what I'm saying? Schmeary, schmeary, schmeary. A little schmeary, little balls, a little mayo. 
a little, uh, a little mutt, lettuce, a little mutton, little mutton lettuce yeah. tomato. You know when they slice the mutton thin, <laughs> <Real> okay, <laughs> nice and thin. <laughs> and so that's prohibition pickle. Thank you very much. Uh, and of course, Hebron, the Jewish community of uh, HebronFund.org keeps the place strong, keeps the mamas and the papas safe. Please be part of that effort. Uh, I also want to thank Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, Lou, and Yochavit for getting the show out to you through the NetWaves. <clears throat> Please be part of helping me get the show out further by ranking it highly, uh, by, uh, I don't know, doing internet things that get the show out, like, you know, tweeting it, uh, Facebooking it, whatever it is. If you think the show is good, send it to a friend. And, and that's the thing I ask of you. The other thing I ask of you is go to... Uh, to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai and buy me a cup of coffee. People have been doing it. It's really so neat. nice. It's so nice. What a, what a and it's a way also if you I've want never to been like so get on the newsletter. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's a way also to get on the newsletter if you're not getting Yishai's weekly newsletter. It's right. uh, brief. It's visual. So it's not just like a ton of text and stuff. It's fun. And it's very nice. And you find out about nice stuff. That's right. So so support the show by buying me a coffee or support our bigger projects by going to YishaiFleischer.com and our donate page there. Uh, and finally, write me a second to finally write me an email, yishaiyishaifleischer.com. Love to hear from you so much. Uh, it makes a big difference in my life when I see your email pop up in my inbox. And lastly, I want to thank Hashem, God Almighty, for giving us the opportunity to be alive at this great time and be part of this great story and be and have any role, any part in it to move it forward. Thank you, Hashem, so much uh, for 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 your great gifts. Yes, Malka. I just want to say also that this coming week is Tu Bishvat. Right. Right. And we talked all about the uh, Jewish National Fund planting for Tu Bishvat. And I just want to say that I think that there's something kind of, uh, to wrap up that story that we were talking about, there was something kind of beautiful about the fact that Tu Bishvat created this, uh, raised this issue. It's like the land of Israel herself is like, excuse me, okay? <laughs> I belong to the Jewish people and like, yes, you're going to have a flare up over me. This week, the the uh, Gimpels had to fight for the land of Israel. We're uh, in Efrat. They're fighting for the land of Israel. And the land of Israel doesn't want to be thought of as just a place where you park your car and live your life. The land of Israel is holy. It's special. It has its own special, beautiful little holiday. And... I really want to bless the land of Israel as we come up to Tu Bishvat, that it will be filled with beautiful fruit trees and shade trees for the Jewish people and for peace-loving people who want to come and see Hashem's land and be part of the experience. All right, Malka, let's listen to uh, the next segment of our show, which is Jeremy Gimpel and Tehila Gimpel on the Arugot Farm I also did a video with Arya Bromwitz. That's on my Facebook page and my Twitter and, and the other outlets. Uh, but check out, uh, it, coming up right now, is my discussion with uh, Jeremy and Tahila about what went on uh, to fight. And in the meantime, uh, stop the destruction order uh, against the Ezra Schwartz uh, vineyard in the Aru Goat Farm. Here we go. All right, folks. Yishai Fleischer here, and I am on the Aru Goat Farm. I went here today because it's a nice day, and some of my kids are in so-called uh, quarantine bedude, whatever, uh, although they're not sick. And then I listened to one of my messages, and it was one of my producers, Lou. And Lou says to me, he leaves me a message saying, please get us an update on what's going on on the Aragot farm. The whole world over, the whole Jewish press has written about the effort to the 
Israeli army's effort to uproot a vineyard here in the Arugot farm. Uh, some of the famous folks that live here are uh, Ari Abramowitz and Shana and Shana Shana and Ari Abramowitz, and uh, of course Jeremy and Tahila Gimpel. Jeremy and Tahila are with me right now, guys. Thank hey. you so much for joining the show. Great to be here. Hey guys, Tahila, this may be your first time on the show. Is that right? It's my first time on the Yishai Fleischer show. It's very exciting. Um, so so this week we were we were poised this Tuesday. Uh, excuse me, this Monday, to have a big protest and to try to push back on Israeli forces, Israeli Jewish IDF forces who are going to come to uproot uh, a vineyard here. Let's just get technical here. Tell me exactly what the claim was and why they were saying that they were coming here to uproot it. Okay, so the Arugot farm is inside the blue line, which means it is state-zoned land. And for the last 20 years, every community, every village in Israel that's within the blue line has planted orchards, trees around their village, even if it has not yet been declared as state land, because likelihood is that it is also state land and it makes the land beautiful. And in 20 years, there's never been a tree that has been uprooted that has been right next to the blue line in state land that has not yet been declared as state land. And so our vineyard is just like that. It is right next to the blue line. It was has no private claim on the land. No one said it belonged to them. We're at the edge of the desert here. The desert doesn't belong to anyone. No one was ever here until we came here. And what did we do? We were fulfilling the Jewish dream of making the desert blossom again. And so, why did they come to destroy our vineyard is literally, absolutely illogical. There is no reason. It's insane. Imagine all the things the country needs to do now in the height of Corona. Hold on, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you right there. Okay. I, I'm, I just want to get first to the technical details. I want to understand. Tila, help, help me out. Help me understand why, uh, why the, the, the state of Israel... Uh, figured that, that this is an important thing to do right now. What, what, why, why was there claims? What were they trying to do? What were they, like, what, what's, what's the thing behind this? Why allocate manpower or woman power to uh, kick Jews out of uh, a vineyard here in the desert? So I, I think that I would say here you have an example of our, the complication in our government being that Benny Gantz as a representative of the left and people who vote for him want to see him do left things. Benny Gantz is in a position where he needs to bring something to his voters and show them that he's doing something. He doesn't want necessarily, uh, you know, to have to uh, uproot an entire town because he knows he knows he doesn't have the public support to do that. But by, by pulling up trees, it's seemingly at first glance, at least to him, uh, something that's relatively harmless that can bring him uh, media attention as if he's uh, protecting, uh, you know, Arab rights in some kind of way, even though there's no actual claim onto this land. Now, what functionally is so functionally is so dangerous about that is that it's true that people plant trees around the blue line, like you were saying, Jeremy, they plant the trees in order to uh, make the land beautiful, but it's a lot deeper than that. People plant the trees to protect our towns because if you don't plant things around your town, there will come squatters. They'll pitch tents or make little huts and the government will never get rid of them. So by pulling up these trees that are essentially there to protect our towns and our farms and our uh, communities, by pulling up those trees, you're exposing them to 
uh, encroachment, illegal encroachment of actually building homes that are going to be so difficult to take down because the European Union will say, well, you're moving Arabs, you can't do that. So by doing this, it's a lot deeper than pulling up this tree or that tree. They're actually trying to create a situation where our communities become unsustainable by allowing the Arabs to encroach and suffocate us so badly that that it becomes a de facto Palestinian state even without without declaring it. Okay, so... So, Jeremy, I, I saw a video uh, of yours posted on the media. And by the way, great job at uh, – you had Siata Deshmaya, God's help, that it went out to the world. It went to the, to the Jewish and the non-Jewish world. People really heard the call, the call of yours, but also the call of the land, saying, like, don't do this thing. Uh, but one of the things that you said was, like, I was sent here by my community. I was sent here by Gush Etzion, the, the uh, municipality of Gush Etzion. I was sent here as a shaliach, as an emissary. I was, I was, I was told to hold on to this land. And, and yet here comes my very government doing the opposite. So first thing, tell me a little bit about that aspect of the message and, and the truth behind that. And also, how was that accepted by uh, forces within the Israeli government? It's undeniable. I was sent here by the municipality. I sat here on this mountain at the very beginning with the Minister of Tourism at that time, Yariv Levine. Everyone's patting me on the shoulders. This is the most strategic area in Gush Etzion. You're doing God's work. Because the reality in Israel today is, even if there is land that is within the blue line and comes in an illegal Arab squatter and pitches a tent and plants a tree, in today's political reality, you can't remove them. So we came out here with a very clear mission to guard, protect, and settle the land of Israel. Now, what happens is that in this government today that was established by the party Yamina, which means right, has created the most smola left-wing government in the last 15 years. And the minister of defense, who is in charge of everything that goes on in Judea and Samaria, is the head of the left. And in fact, that's how he's trying to position himself. Benny Gantz, over the last few months, has met with Abu Mazen multiple times, and he is now showing the Arab world and his left-wing colleagues that he is the melech. He's the king of the left. Is there room on the right? No, there's no room on the right, so he's chosen to go left. Is there ideology? I don't think so. He's just looking, where can his power come from? It's going to come from the left. So what has he done? He's met with the Palestinian Authority, and now, if you've noticed, he's done a few gestures. He's destroyed a few vineyards. He's destroyed a few chomesh, and there's multiple things, and I don't know, the lottery just sort of fell on our vineyard, and by the grace of God, there was such an outcry, because people love the Arugot farm so much that they they pulled back thank god and so we were just the sacrifice on his altar of left-wing insanity there's no other way to understand it because there is no legal reason no one's asking for the land there's no court case on the land this is state land that has just not been declared as state land right next to state land that has been declared and we've just planted a beautiful vineyard now here's two other points the vineyard was planted by ezra schwartz's family Ezra Schwartz was a beautiful yeshiva student from America, came here. On his way to volunteer helping Chayalim, he was murdered by terrorists. The family came here and said, we want to plant this vineyard in his memory. To uproot that vineyard, for what? For what? And on the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year where you're not supposed to work the land, you're not supposed to really touch the land, you're supposed to let the land rest. And on the week of Tubishvat, where you're supposed to be planting trees, like, how anti-Jewish can this government get? I mean, what is going on here? For what? Imagine this. It would have cost the government about a half a million shekels to come and bring all of the army here and the police forces and the demonstrations and this to, to spend an entire two days and clean up and back up 
a half a million shekels. Is that really what Israel needs to do now in the middle of Corona? I was sent here by the government to establish a tourist attraction in the mountains of King David. There's no tourism in Israel. I would expect the government, give me a grant, help me through this hard time. Nope. The left-wing Israeli government now, instead of giving me a grant, wants to come and destroy five years of my work and hundreds of thousands of shekels invested and spit on the grave of a victim of terror that was here. Unbelievable. Tehillah? And I think it's important, though, to note that we're not out of the woods. It is by the grace of Hashem that we were able to postpone this, but we're far from being out of the woods. There's supposed to be a meeting next week to discuss what's going to happen to our vineyard, but it's not obvious at all that we're in the safe zone. We're going to try to convince them. Am I right, Jeremy? Yep, you're absolutely right. Next week, we have a meeting with the land authority and with the municipality. And right now... What they're asking us to do between the lines until we have this meeting is that we have to uh, we have to uproot the vineyard <laughs> and we have to plant it in another place. Why? I don't know. That's just what they're deciding. Uh, what do you think about that? I think that's absolute insanity. Why? Where do trees belong? Do trees not belong in the ground? There's a problem around the world called desertification. The world is becoming more deserty, and we went to the desert. We made it more green. Why are we uprooting trees from the ground? The most basic Zionist act that I remember as a little kid in Atlanta, Georgia, is to plant a tree in the land of Israel. It's like the most basic of the basics of Zionism. And this Jewish government on Tubishvat wants to uproot the most basic Zionist act of planting trees. It's just insanity. Well, there you go. That insanity is something that a lot of people have actually been witness to. And we have a lot of friends who have already like either left Israel or been emotionally broken by it. A good friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours used to be a great activist. He's just gone into the business world. He doesn't want to deal with it anymore. He can't face the, this, this kind of madness. And, you know, a long time ago, I formulated for myself that the eternal people, nothing can stop us except for an internal self-destructive mechanism. There's something in the Am HaNetzach that is self-destructive and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's like the contra uh, to our eternity. Uh, another thing is that very same guy that I told you that was a great activist who, who, be, who just went into business, he told me years ago, he said, listen, this country, our beloved Israel, would prefer, its founders would prefer to hand over the keys of the country to the Arabs than to the religious Zionists and the Haredim and the Sephardim and all that kind of thing. Like, he would prefer that it, like, goes away instead of uh, becoming what he kind of wants to come become internally, which is this, like, religious religious Judean state with a with a with a with a with a, with a strong identity a biblical identity uh, they want to get away from that they want to get away from that At the same time you know I want to tell you I'm speaking to like young Israelis in Tel Aviv they live a life where the most important thing right now is technology learning technology passing te- the ability to be technical to kids and Israel just had its biggest year of fundraising, about $25 billion have come into to Israel, to the Tel Aviv Israel, to the high-tech Israel. And so in their mind, they're living over there in this like peaceful bubble. It's a good world. They look behind, when they look at the mountains of Judean Samaria, it looks like the, we call in Hebrew, the mountains of darkness. It's just like, why do I want to deal with that? Why do I want to hold onto this place? What do, what do I, they, they cannot rationale, they cannot rationalize create a, ra- a rationale for themselves of any reason to to be part of this thing. Until not- they come here. Right. Until they come to the Arugot farm. Because we've had so many people from Ranana and Tel Aviv and Herzliya, and when they come out here, they, they, pe- they, pe- they faint. 
They're so, they're so taken with the beauty of Judea. And all of a sudden, they're connected to the source of who they are. Because why are Jews called Jews? It's because we're from Judea. Mm-hmm. Japanese are from Japan. Jews are from Judea. That's the truth. It's not that this land belongs to us. We belong to this land. And when they come here and they connect to this land, they connect to themselves. And they realize that a Jew that isn't in Judea, an Israel that doesn't have Judea, isn't Israel that just doesn't have our mm-hmm. roots. We don't know who we are. And so... Maybe they feel that way, but it's just because of a disconnect. And that's one of the missions here at the Arugod Farm. Like on one end, of course, we want to reach out to the whole world and make this a global destination of spirituality. But right now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One of Israel, has made it very clear. Our aim now needs to be on Israel. Next week, I'm meeting with one of the most successful investors in high-tech companies in Israel. And my request of him isn't money. It's I want the number of all of the CEOs of your high-tech companies. And I want their Yemeki Bush, their fun tour days that they all do. I want them to come out to my mountain and connect the Jews of Tel Aviv to the land of Judea. Because once they hear, then it's I mean, I don't want to sound dramatic. It's life-changing. They see Israel differently. They leave here different. Their connection to the land is different. They come here, and it literally changes their lives, changes their perspectives. It happens to radical left-wing people have come here, and they've left with tears in their eyes. That's what's happened. This this week, I had uh, four Israeli tourism bloggers uh, come to Hebron, and one of them had a—she was a totally secular lady, by her own admission— and had a streak of like red hair. I don't mean I don't mean gingy. I don't mean the redhead. I mean like red, like Ferrari red. You know, in her hair. All I mean to say is she outwardly was very very secular. She came into the tomb of the patriarchs, the matriarchs, the Maratim Machpelah. She started crying, and she's like, I cannot believe I have this emotional response. I cannot believe that I'm that I'm feeling like this. Anyway, we probed her a little bit. And she's like, let me call, let me call my, let me call my grandma for a second. Turns out that her great grandparents were Jews living in Hebron until 1929 were evicted and were one of the few eight families that pushed back to live in Hebron in 1931 and again kicked out in 36. So she had in her the blood of like a deeply Judean Hebron connection person and she She didn't didn't even know that. She didn't even know it. And she started crying. She just, and and before she, she was just, she came to the Maratha Machpelah and wow, I I could not believe like, and just was a rational, you know, the smart person, a success, oh, she's a a Katevich, she's a, a journalist, for Channel 13 for tourism, smart person, solid person, and just such a, a, a such an a, a instant emotional response. Let's get back to just. I, I just want to f- finish up, but um, just ask the question of where is it all going? You and I, uh, before recording this, we're having a, a bit of an argument, and I was saying that I think it's going to take this birur this uh, sifting process, this clarification. It's going to take at least another 15, 20 years. Uh, we do n- our country does not understand itself to be a Jewish state per se anymore. It understands itself to be Jewish and democratic, which is another way of saying Jewish and Arab. Uh, it's a country that, that liberal progressive ideas are strong, uh, stronger than nationalistic ideas. Uh, it has some wins of Europe and Northern California and American universities and the New York Times. It has those winds blowing here sometimes very strongly. Uh, and what you're representing here on this farm the two of you is very much counterculture uh, count, counter to that culture in any case and we're in a process of biru and i said it's, it's going to be a bumpy ride and you kind of were saying to me no d- don't 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 oversay it that way because that's part of the narrative of the anti-israel folks that there's a darkness there's no, a conflict that's what, I what i was pointing out was uh you know there was a right-wing government for 10 years 
And all you heard from the left all day long was how bad this country was. The country's bad. It's dark here. It's horrible here. Everything is wrong here. Everything's bad here. And all of a sudden, the left wing are now in government. And now the right wing is like, oh, this country's terrible. This country's bad. This is going on a horrible. It's terrible. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hashem is the one that puts kings up in power. He is the one that puts kings down in power. And this clarification is happening. That's true. Tomorrow, a leader could arise. Tomorrow. And it wouldn't be Donald Trump. But it would be like Donald Trump in the fact that he's not on the radar right now. Donald Trump came out of nowhere. I remember when he was actually won the presidency. I was in Australia. Until the very end, no one ever thought that he was going to win. And then I remember in Sydney, Australia, the entire continent on the other side of the world were walking around in a daze for two days. They could not believe what just happened. It was a messianic moment. The whole world was shocked. That could happen tomorrow. That's all it takes. One leader to rise up, that is a dugma ishit. That's an example that every Israeli can look at and be like, yes, that's the Jew, that's the Israeli that I want to be. That's all it takes. And so I don't think it's going to come necessarily from the top. I think it's going to come from the bottom. Mm -hmm. Am Israel is going to have to get inspired. And that's why um, on a personal level now, I have taken it upon myself as a New Year's resolution for 2022 to, in my small way, aim my guns toward Israel and try to influence the people from the bottom up, get them inspired about being Jewish again. And so I think that uh, it's not going to take 15 years. It might, but it might not. Tehila, you uh, are uh, amongst being a mom a farmer, uh, a person who has to navigate life with Jeremy, which is in itself a challenge. Uh, but you're also a, um, a divorce lawyer, a lawyer. Uh, you deal with a lot of bureaucracy. I, I see you commenting a lot of times in groups. You're very aware of the Helech uh, Ruach, the, the spirit that's the, the ghost in the machine, the spirit that's within the Israeli Israeli uh, the mechanisms of, of Israeli bureaucracy, of Israeli life, Israeli governance. And 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 you kind of see the, the Jeremy just gave us a kind of messianic vision. Uh, is your vision the same that that you see that uh, that it's going to kind of there's going to be just some kind of inspiration or or is there or how do you see the process of birur that's happening right now? The process of of trying to understand where the Jewish state is really going and and the kind of its its next um, next t- turns on the road to the Beit Hamikdash. Okay, well the short answer is going to be I don't know. The longer answer is going to be that I imagine it's going to be somewhere in between what the two of you guys are saying, because I, I agree with you, Yishai. It's a lot deeper than just not having the right leader. There's a there's an undercurrent of very um, kind of anti-Jewish, uh, Eurocentric, progressive uh, uh, thinking that's pervaded so much of our civil service. <clears throat> Excuse me for my voice. Um and so that really is at the, at the root, and and it would seem that it would take a very very long time for that to be fixed. And I don't know, Jeremy, if it's right that just a leader can you know come and you know turn it in at the snap of his fingers, turn it upside you know uh, you know turn it all over on its head. But on the other hand, I'm going to take an example from something that's totally unrelated to this, which is what we're all going through with the whole COVID situation. It, if we look at that, there's something about how quickly our entire we were just talking, you and I, Yishai, about the craziness of the rules, but we all know the rules, right? It's like all of what we thought about life doesn't work the same way anymore. And how quickly that happened. We just got used to, oh, you're not allowed to travel normally. You're not allowed to send your kids to school normally. We're like, oh, okay, that's new life. How fast we were able to adjust to an entirely new way of thinking. And 
people who used to be like, oh, freedom, freedom, freedom are like, oh, yeah, no, no freedom for you. Like the for me showed the malleability of consciousness and things that maybe seem really immovable could actually be moved under the right circumstances. And so so I would say that you're right, that really the those philosophical under undercurrents are what need to change. But I, I don't necessarily think it could take 15 years, but I think it also could move more quickly, um, you know, with uh, uh, under the right circumstances and type of uh, discourse that we need to be having that can change the way people look at things. I want to stick with you, TLA, for one more point, which is also before recording, we a little bit talked about some of the political machinations that took place in order to convince the government not to uproot a vineyard in Judea. Uh, and this, and I just have to say this parenthetically, while giving about 50 uh, billion shekel to uh, a- illegal Arab building and, and legalizing it and giving them electricity, right? One of the things you told me is that you helped produce some videos that spoke to some Knesset members, to some leaders, and and like what was important there was emotionalism and and a little bit of tears and it's so it's so like yeah there's a legal case here and there are like big forces and then sometimes it gets reduced to like a little video that gets sent to a particular Knesset member who speaks to another Knesset member. So just tell me a little bit about that. Like, like how, how, how does this, this like, like rich Jewish state, you know, fighting for its survival after, after 2000 years being reborn after the Holocaust, it still comes down to those, those moments of like making the video with the tears and, and a view of the beautiful land of Israel. Well, it's actually funny because um, I always tell my clients, they're like, you know, well, tell the judge this, tell the judge that. And I always say to them before judges are people, Excuse me, before judges are judges, they're people. And so you have to, you know, all those legal arguments are important, but it's all about how we make them feel. You know, they have to feel something when you tell them this story. And the same is true with everyone. You know, a politician, yes, they have their policies and they have their things, but in the end of the day, at least I believe that they're still people and that an emotional outcry um, can move them. And Jeremy said to me, Tila, I need you to make an emotional recording. (laughs) And I said, dude, I'm a lawyer. I talk like technical, this, that, this, that. I don't know how to, I don't know how to make this uh, emotion. That's not my thing. I'm cold hearted. Tell me about it. I know, right? I always tell you, always tells me, he always tells me, Tila, your hands are so cold. I said, they're only as cold as my heart, baby. (laughs) So I said, I said, I'm cold. I can't do that. He goes, no, you got to do it. Hashem will put words in your mouth. And so I start making this recording. And as I start, I actually started crying. <laughs> and I realized that even with how, uh, uh, you know, unemotional I think I am, I turned out to actually still have a little bit of uh, life left in me. And what I think was moving for the people that heard what I said was it was first of all to talk about um, Ezra Schwartz's family? I said, I said, look, this is not our parnasa. This is not our livelihood. We all have jobs outside of this farm. We didn't make this farm because we need money. We made this farm because we wanted to lose money. We put everything we had into this farm. We didn't take from this farm. I said, I'm not worried that oh, you know, if we don't have bottles of wine, we're not going to have food to put on the table. It's not like that. I'm a lawyer. I have lots to do. But I said, what will it look like to the parents of Ezra Schwartz? I said, I remember with my own eyes seeing his grandparents take a shovel and bend down and put a hole in the ground and put those trees there and to uproot them. What does that mean? What is the government of Israel saying to the family of a terror victim? And I said, you know who's been taking care of that vineyard? It hasn't been Ezra Schwartz's family. They don't live here. You know who's been taking care of that? At-risk teenagers who've quit school and who are like one step away from saying, Jump off a cliff, Israel, government, leaders, teachers, grown-ups. We don't like the whole grown-up world. And we always say to them, just, it's okay. You know, there's, there are good grown-ups out there and, and, and we can just, we, we'll work and we'll build something and it'll be okay. And I said, what are you saying to those teenagers? What are you saying to them? And, and I think that those two emotional points, um, 
at least for some of the people who who heard it might have uh, might have been a little bit moving. Yes, and and it was uh, shown in the halls of power and may have moved the levers of power to to stay uh, this execution of. Uh, of, of uprooting a small vineyard in the desert in Judea on, on almost state lands. On Tu Bishvat. On Tu Bishvat, on, on the Shemitah year, yeah. right? On the year where, 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 where this land is supposed to be left fallow, left to grow naturally. Uh, and, and, and not to mention, by the way, the many Arabs who want to see a strong Israel and want to connect to a strong Israel, who see all the time that, in fact, they might as well put their lots with the jihadis or at least put their head down and, and, and not say that they stand with Israel because, because Israel is not really going to be strong. All those mistakes. And yet, at the same time, both of you uh, not only exude positivity, but this farm exudes that positivity. Uh, and those young people uh, will have a different chance at life if they look at it. Yeah, I want to just say two things about that. That, you know, about a half a year ago, we had all these uh, at youth. Risk at use. At risk youth. You're going to be at risk. Thank you. Thank you. I'll send you back to school. And um, in fact, two of them now, just Tehillah, because she's so good at bureaucracy, just uh, fixed them to be uh, in national service under the uh, genre or whatever it's called of youth at risk doing national service. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of them are really just like one step away of giving up on the country. They're like this state, just the hell with this. And the fact that... They're building up the country here. And I, I really think that that was a point that really touched them. But I wasn't able to communicate that. And I'm always in the front. And I'm always in the headlines. And Ari and I are on the television screen. And Ari and I are on the podcast. But it's just amazing that the real power behind this farm is a bunch of kids that we brought in to help them and give them a home. And then in the end, their presence here protected our home. And then even more powerful than that is Tehillah is really the one that was the, the power behind the heart that was it. We are to convey our hearts to these people and not the legal claims. But really, what is the mission of this place? And it's just to bring light into the world. And what the, the state of Israel is going to just bring darkness onto the light that we're bringing. It's the state of Israel that, that, that itself wants to be lit up. Uh, it's itself, it's, it's going through this process. It, 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 it wants to be a light onto the world. Maybe it's scared of that. Uh, maybe it's scared of its own shadow. Maybe it's scared of its own light. Uh, and that's the process we're going through. I want to thank you very much, both of you. And, uh, and I want to share with you what I think everybody that's listening uh, and around the world feel, which is uh, Yechi, the Aragot Farm. Long live the Aragot Farm. And may it continue to be a, a source of blessing and inspiration to Israel and to the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Yishai. Bye, everybody. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed uh, Tehillah Gimpel and Jeremy Gimpel uh, out on the Aragot Farm here in Judea. Very, very great conversation and interesting. Let's get to uh, a little bit of Table Torah. Malka, thanks so much for joining me for this last section of the show. And just uh, this part of the show is a a new thing that I'm developing, which is like I want you to be able to say something over uh, at the table, at, at your Shabbat table. Uh, so um, I've uh, I've prepared some thoughts for you, and and here's here's the part of the show which like is like, <clears throat> okay, you can you can, you know, connect it to your Dvar Torah or use it as, as is, but it's table Torah. So here's how we, here's what I want to talk about this week's Torah portion, which is a Beshalach. Beshalach is a Torah portion which is too big. There's too much stuff in this Torah portion. It's too emotional, but the central 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 visual thing. Let me tell you what, 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 it, what it includes. It includes the manna. It includes Amalek attacking the Jewish people. It includes the manna bread. It includes, it includes a leaving of Egypt. It includes um, um, 
striking the rock the first time for the water. It includes a lot of stuff. But the central image of it all is the splitting of the Red Sea. The splitting of the Red Sea is the most visual, the most iconic moment of the Jewish people. You know, we don't use it as an icon. Like, you never see a Jewish, like, uh, synagogue or something have a splitting of the Red Sea icon. But we should think about that. Because the splitting of the Red Sea... I think it's harder to do graphically. It could be, or maybe it needs to be actually thought about. But it is the most iconic moment. But here's the question, Malka Fleischer. Who split the Red Sea? Who split the Red Sea? So... On the face of it, we know the story, one of your favorite stories, is the splitting of the Red Sea by the courage of Nachshon ben Aminadav, the prince of the tribe of Judah, who went into the sea and uh, let the water, he started walking, and it went up past his knees, past his waist, uh, past his chest, past his shoulders, past his neck, past his mouth, and when it got to the edge of his nose, but he kept walking, that's when God was like, okay, they have faith. In, in, in my plan, and, and the, the sea split, right? We know that story, and that's a story that's inspirational for you, right? That's right. And the reason it's inspirational for so many people is because it's, it's a story of following God in times where it's not certain, like in the Holocaust, etc., and still having faith in Hashem, and having faith in the great story that, that will unfold. And that you don't also have to be like the big fancy pants in the story in order to make something earth-shattering happen. Right, very good, right, because he's not like... He's not a Moshe. He's not. He's not like a. You know. He's not a starring cast. Right. He's. A, he's like an extra. Right. Basically, and he like gets in there and he changes everything. He's a little bit more than an extra. Nachshon ben Amina. Okay. He's. A, he's an. He's a. You know. He's an extra with with speaking. I w- with a little speaking. It's part. called Maka a cameo. Okay. Yeah, he has a. Ca- but he is. I'm saying he's not one of the like big guys. That's right. You know what I'm saying. Right now, let's keep. Now let's keep going. So that's who split the Red Sea, right? But then there's another person who split the Red Sea. Who split the Red Sea? It was it was like really Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Moshe Rabbeinu. He you know and and, and Aaron they like they, put out they his staff. Put out a staff. Um, but then there's another person who really split the Red Sea, and that is the bones of Joseph. The measure says that the bones of Joseph, which we are told in the beginning of this parsha, are taken from Egypt with them, and they're taking the bones. They're taking the casket. They're taking the bones with them. That's, that's, that's one of the arcs they're carrying. And by the way, the, Rashi says that really they're carrying all the 12 tribes, the casks of, of all of the 12 oh, tribes. All the brothers. All the, the, the brothers. Oh, wow. The tribe heads. They're all, every tribe has got their, got their guy, guy, got their founder. That They're taking them to the land of Israel. Wow. That's right. And, uh, but the measure says that when the cask of, Joseph's bones, when they reached the water, the water receded. Why? Because the water said, Anus mipne hanas, I will recede from he that receded. He that overcame his inclination uh, with Mrs. Potiphar and didn't succumb to the wiles of Mrs. Potiphar, he overcame his nature. Says the water, I too shall overcome my nature and do something unnatural for myself. I will pull back just like he pulled back. And and Joseph, and there's another way to understand that. One way is the way we just explained it, which he overcame his nature. But another way is he's the one that brought them down. He brought them down to Egypt. He brought them to, to exile. And so it only fits that he's going to bring them back home. Oh, nice. It's like, I brought you down here, but that's not wasn't my purpose. 
I wanted us to be, I was working God's plan to make it, make us a great nation. I'm Joseph. I want to go back to the homeland. So, of course, he's the one who's knocking on the, uh, on the, uh, on the doors of Eretz Israel. So, of course, his, his, uh, his bones are going to split the Red Sea. So, who was it? Was it, was it Joseph or was it, or was it Nachshon ben Aminadav who really split the Red Sea? And I have a very special answer. And that is, if you think about it, Nachshon ben Aminadav is the prince of Judah. He stands for, he is going to be the predecessor for King David. And so therefore he represents Mashiach ben David. He represents that Judean, the Judean of, but from Judah line of kings that's called Mashiach ben David. And Joseph's bones, they represent Mashiach ben Yosef. There's two energies in Israel. One is the Joseph energy, one is the Judean, the Judah energy. And they represent different things. The Joseph energy represents <clears throat> the infrastructure of things. The 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 it represents the 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 building of 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 wealth and 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 buildings and the infrastructure that creates Jewish life. And the Judah uh, the Judah energy, the King David energy represents the spiritual component within within that that vessel. But when those two forces combine, nothing can stop them. It is when those two forces of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, when they combine, that is when you can split Things the Red Sea. Things get supernatural. They become, that's right. Nothing can stop this force when it comes together. Okay? In modern times, it would be if Tel Aviv would get together with Judea and Samaria. Mm-hmm. Then we would have the high-tech and economic prowess of Tel Aviv uniting with the spiritual, moral, and godly element that is prevalent here in the mountain range, the spiritual mountain range. I dare say, Ishai, I just want to throw it out there, and I don't know if, if you'll agree, but I would say that there is an element in religious Zionism which really tries to combine those two things. Absolutely, you're right. Absolutely. It tries to combine the modern world, the international aspect of, of being a, a Jew, with the holiness and the purity of being a, a servant of Hashem, you're absolutely right. And the nation right. of Israel, but it's not always going to combine in one person or in one group of people. Right. The real combination is when those two forces work in concert. When the when the people of the, the where they the, don't become one, where they actually remain separate parts, but that they but they work together. Mm. They work together. Okay. That's the real. That's the real way, and that's why I'm always very careful about saying that Tel Aviv is is something I'm connected to, and I and I and I and I give a hard time to people say, "Oh, I'm Jerusalem, not Tel Aviv," or "I'm Tel Aviv, not Jerusalem." I say, "Don't talk like that. That is the opposite of the energy that we need. We need the energy of being able to combine both of those forces, that prowess, both of those prowesses that splits the Red Sea." And let me tell you one more component because we're still in Table Torah. One more thought about that, which is. Have you ever wondered, Malka, why is it that Kalev ben Yifuneh and Yoshua ben Nun were able to stand up to 10 other uh, uh, tribe heads when, when they gave the good report of the land of Israel against their bad report? How were they able to go against the 10 leaders of Israel? They're a minority fighting a majority. Not only that, the Jewish people believed <clears throat> the bad report. And how is it that Joshua and Caleb were able to withstand that Say their truth, 
then walk in the desert for another 40 years, then lead the Jewish people back into the land of Israel and fight wars and defeat the very enemies that they had seen 40 years before. Where do they get that strength? Did you ever think about that? And the answer is, think about it again. Yoshua ben Nun is from the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Joseph. He is the continuation of the Joseph energy. He is Mashiach ben Yosef. And who's Caleb? He's one of the princesses of the tribe of Judah and the, one of the predecessors of King David. He's from Mashiach ben David. When these two forces, Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef, get together, they could defeat the, the Jews that are afraid. They could withstand the desert. They could go back in the land of Israel and defeat the enemies and restart the Jewish commonwealth, uh, begin the, Jewish com- the first Jewish commonwealth in the land of Israel. That's the power uh, of these two forces together. That splits the Red Sea. And that's what they really mean when they talk about unity. People say unity, throw that. They throw it out there, unity, unity, unity. That's what unity is. It's when those two forces can work in concert. So I want to wish everybody a Shabbat Shalom and lots of blessings from the land of blessings from Eretz Israel. Uh, and thank you so much for being with us. Please write me an email, yishayishayfleischer.com. I hope that you appreciated a little bit of Table Torah. L- would love to hear yours as well. And I want to thank again Ben Bresky, Yochevet, Tabitha, Moshe Herman, and Lou for helping produce the show. Uh, Lou actually had a hand in this week's show. He helped me uh, uh, have the idea of interviewing uh, uh, the folks at the farm. Good. Uh, so, so thank you very much to Lou. And thank you very much to all of you. Lots of love, lots of blessings. I hope you feel the love because uh, we're sending it and we feel it from you. Let's keep that feeling going. Let's keep that achdut, that unity of all of our divided parts together, working in concert for this great future, which is Hashem's dream. More great stuff is on the way. Thanks again. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. Lots of love and lots of blessings from the land of blessings. And shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. My name is Jeremy Gimpel. A few months ago, we started an online seminar teaching life-changing biblical wisdom revealed from the original Hebrew and straight from the mountains of Judea. What started as an online seminar has grown into a global fellowship with hundreds of members from over 30 countries. I don't know how you found this or what compelled you to click on that link, but I don't believe in coincidence. And I would encourage you to take the next step on your journey toward the land of Israel. Instead of learning the Bible as a religion, it's the Torah of Israel, the living guidance of God. So please join us for our next online gathering. Just click on the link below or email fellowship at thelandofisrael.com.